You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is Welcome back to the Chris and Joe Show presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. We are recording today on Victory Monday after the Giants upset the Seattle Seahawks. In our eyes, not much of an upset as we think this is more of what could possibly be to come as the Giants are riding high on a four-game winning streak. Hopefully we get to see that transition into their next opponent, the Arizona Cardinals. But today's episode, as we do every Tuesday episode, we are breaking down the film for you, giving our takeaways after we did the rewatch, not the coach's film, but the rewatch of the broadcast film, just based on the time frame of what is available to us. So, Chris, I want to open up with this point here, one that we're very much in agreement with. And I think that the first three games of this four-game winning streak were good wins, but they were against struggling teams. Washington is hotter out of the other two, but the Bengals, without Joe Burrow, not a good football team. The Eagles right now, a messy team on multiple levels. But beating the Seattle Seahawks, a team that people consider to be one of the favorites in the NFC, To make it to the NFC Championship game is a momentous victory and one that you need at the very end of the year to help you establish and continue to ride momentum against a stretch of tough opponents and hopefully and eventually win the NFC East. This victory is a true testament to the quality of coaches that the Giants have brought in. And I'm I'm talking very specifically about Joe Judge, and Patrick Graham, and some of the various assistants at various position groups that are currently flourishing. And what this tells me is, one, this provides optimism after this year, but it proves you do not need a top five roster to beat good teams in the NFL. If you are well coached, you can go out and beat a majority of quality teams in this league. And what I get out of this is that the Giants right now, I think we can all agree, folks, this Giants roster is bottom 10 in the NFL in terms of talent. It's a lot of older guys. It's a lot of young guys still figuring their stuff out. If you think that they're not, I think you need to take a better look at this roster. And that's not me trying to knock this roster down. These are guys that are still developing and figuring their stuff out. They're a couple years away. But imagine how good this team could possibly become once they upgrade their talent at every single position or at least at most other positions and these young guys continue to develop. In two to three years, we could possibly have 
not only a good Giants team, but a very dominant one. And maybe you only finish the year six and ten, or you finish the year um, at seven and nine, eight and eight. Going into the future, what we see right now is promising for what could be to come. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you said, it's a, a bottom ten roster, and that, I I don't think anyone can realistically argue with that. This team really doesn't have a whole lot in the way of impact players, difference makers on either side of the ball. You know, James Bradbury is playing great. Uh, Leonard Williams is having probably his best statistical year of his career. But yeah, even with as many sacks as the Giants got against the Seahawks, so many of them are really just a function of their coverage and how well Patrick Graham has the Giants secondary playing. You know, on offense, Wayne Gallman has been great the last four games. Evan Ingram can make a a game-changing play on just about any pass play, but he is also somewhat inconsistent, which is also a little bit of function of the Giants quarterback play, which is a thing we might get to talk about a little bit later on. But this team is really well coached. The defense in particular is really really well schemed. And they are playing a very sophisticated brand of defense, which is impressive considering how much of it was just thrown together. How many of these players are young guys, rookies, second-year players, or guys who were depth players coming into this stretch. And the fact that Patrick Graham has them playing such a sophisticated brand of defense, which is which is something we will definitely be getting into in a little bit, but executing it so well and well enough to shut down for the most part one of the very best offenses in the NFL. Assuming the Giants can keep Patrick Graham around for a little bit, that bodes very well for the future. Now, looking ahead, looking down the road, the Giants are going to have to be very, very smart and very careful about building their roster up over the next year or so. Because, as you say, they've got some older guys, they've got some free agents, they have to make some decisions in free agency, and they're going to be drafting, assuming they make the playoffs at the bottom of rounds. So they're going to have to be very good with their scouting, and they're going to have to be very careful about where they decide to spend their money, especially with the salary cap shrinking. But that's something we can take a closer look at further down the road. You know, For now, let's just talk about this game. Getting into another offensive point from this performance, I would like to address what Colt McCoy's play quality means for this Giants team. And again, talking about what what this game proves to us, for, for me, what I get out of this is that Colt McCoy didn't really do anything special, threw an interception, didn't throw for a whole lot of yards. Overall, I'd say he, he struggled at times, but he made throws and short completed short passes when the Giants needed him to, just to move the ball beyond the sticks. His impact was quite minimal despite being the starting quarterback in this football game. But the way that he played, that overall quality of play, is proof that you don't necessarily need your quarterback to throw for 400 yards or 350 yards to win a football game. If you have 
a defense that is dominating and you run the ball effectively. And I know a lot of analytics people are going to hate to hear that. A lot of analytics people think that running the football is a, is a non-existent thing that shouldn't even be happening. You should be throwing the ball on every single down. It, but the reality of it is if you run the ball well, it sets up the rest of your offense. And if your offensive line is blocking effectively and you have the right cohesive group out there, it can make up for really bad quarterback play, which is what we got from Colt McCoy. What this now means for Daniel Jones, if we can get for the remainder of the year and if Daniel Jones is available to play against Arizona, which it already sounds that there's a chance that it might happen. No guarantee there based on currently what we know on Monday. But for what we want for the remainder of the year from Daniel Jones is to just stay well protected, protect the football, and be conservative with his decision making. We don't need long, deep passes into tight coverage. That is, not, is, that is not what is helping this team win football games. What is working right now over the last four games is pounding the rock, playing good defense, and protecting the football. If you don't turn the ball over, you are going to continue to win games and play even better and continue to beat teams that maybe many would argue you're not supposed to beat. Yeah, there is precedent for this. Uh, I will say we do kind of have to draw a line between right now and going forward into the future and really building a t- a team that has a sustainable level of success. You absolutely do need good quarterback play, consistently good quarterback play, to be a consistently good team. I, I, I don't think there are any teams out there that are great with a bad quarterback. It's just too difficult to win with bad or inconsistent quarterback play. In Right now, in the moment, Giants fans can actually look back at the 2017 Jaguars as a team where you have a strong running game, a strong defense that is basically carrying the rest of the team, the rest of the offense into the playoffs. Now, as we have seen with the Jaguars, that is very difficult to sustain if you can't get the, we'll say, higher value portions of your offense to contribute consistently. If you can't get a passing game that scares defenses, if you can't get a can't get your quarterback to play at a consistently high level. Now, that doesn't mean he needs to be at an MVP level every game, every season. But I think we all know what a starting franchise quarterback looks like and what one doesn't. But right now, the way the Giants are playing with Wayne Gallman putting this offense on his back, on his shoulders, doing enough for the defense to close out games, suffocating opposing offenses, that is enough for now. And you know, I have to say, we talked about Wayne Gallman immediately after the game last night as we were recording this two nights ago as you hear this but getting a chance to go back and look at the game a second time and also look at what NFL next gen stats had to say about him Wayne Gallman was the best running back in the NFL on Sunday yet he only re- he only played 50% of the snaps which is something neither one of us really understand he only ran the ball 16 times which is i think not enough but he faced eight-man boxes 75% of the time. The Seahawks were trying to take him away. He still had a huge game. You know, he still had over 70 yards above expected, and that is per NFL Next Gen Stats player tracking. So 
he should have had 70 or 75 fewer yards than he got, but great vision, some really nice work jump cutting, and just hard running was enough. And the Seahawks are normally a pretty darn good tackling defense. So just, I have to give additional kudos to Wayne Gallman for that. And also to extend things just a little bit, the tight ends had a really nice day. Yeah, I was just about to transition over into that that really interesting point about the tight ends. And one thing that we noticed going back and watching, part of the reason why there were so many guys in the box is that the Giants were running very heavy tight end sets. Hell, they were even running additional linemen at some points because they knew if they came out and they punched them in the mouth and they tried to run the ball down their throats and they were able to establish the run, they they could win this football game. They weren't going to win it off of the arm of Colt McCoy. So what we saw is this group of tight ends come and step up to the occasion. They made some big plays in the passing side of things, but I, we saw some pretty consistent run blocking from them, which seems to be something that we don't typically say. I've complained about Levine Toilolo making mistakes. I don't think we've ever really talked up Evan Ingram as a good run blocker. And I mean, Caden Smith's Caden Smith, nothing too crazy on either end, but he gets the job done. Overall, it was a pretty good day from the group. Yeah, absolutely. And two years ago, Evan Ingram, he, like you say, he never gets talked up for his run blocking. But two years ago, he was one of the very few tight ends in the entire NFL to not blow a block. He, I think, kind of took a step backward in that regard last year. This year, I think he is, he is, getting back to where he was as a run blocker. And in particular, this game, I counted four or five really key blocks by Ingram where he just wiped his guy out. He had, I think there was one, I think 13 yard run by Gallman where Ingram was blocking his, his guy, the entire run about 15 yards downfield. He basically kept Ingram, kept Gallman from getting tackled for a solid 10 yards. It, it was really impressive. All right, we're going to transition to talking about the defense who had a hell of a performance coming up very soon. So you could probably guess, folks, we are going to be so juiced up for this second half of the show, and we're going to be saying nothing but positive things about a defensive group that won this football game. They are the reason they won this game. And there were some various things that went into this victory. Three key points that we are going to address. The first one was the defensive line beating up on this Seattle offensive line and running them down throughout this game. They wore them down from the beginning of the game all the way into the third and fourth quarter. And we didn't necessarily see those dividends pay out early on. We had to wait a little bit. They were We saw that penetration. We saw the disruption, the holes that were being shut down, the, the push that was coming from the Giants defensive line off the ball on every snap. But once the third and fourth quarter came and Chad Wheeler came into the game, that was when they came to feast. That was when the big boys came to eat. And that includes Jabal Sheard, who is starting to play more and more. And I'm starting to see more positive things from him as he's starting to step up and play. The, the overall group beat the crap out of this Seattle offensive line, and they did exactly what they needed to do to win this football game, despite the Giants not really sending a whole lot of extra pressure. It was mostly four-man rushes, and despite that, they were still able to get home for for five sacks and ten quarterback hits. 
Yes. The, you know, I kind of have to wonder a little bit if the Seahawks offensive line, which we noted before the game, there's a there's a big discrepancy in how they deal with pressure in the quick passing game versus how they deal with pressure when Russell Wilson has to hold on to the ball or chooses to hold on to the ball. And we did see periods where Wilson had all day. I, there were a couple plays, one of which wound up resulting in a sack, but there were a couple plays where Wilson had so much time behind the line of scrimmage that his feet actually stopped, which is a thing you just do not see with a quarterback of his caliber, where he was just standing standing there holding the ball, looking, waiting, hoping for somebody to come open. But then there were other instances, you know, particularly as you say, late in the game when Chad Wheeler came in, but even right up on the first play of the game, the Giants were getting some quick pressure. Leonard Williams had a few quick pressures throughout the game. First play of the game, Dalvin Tomlinson drives Ethan Pacek right back into Wilson's face. You know, he got the ball off, but he got a ton of push. You know, the Giants were able to shut down a lot of those rushing lanes. They get disruption, get their hands up to clog those passing lanes. And eventually they were able to take advantage of what the secondary was doing. Yeah, what the secondary was doing, and I think what really played into the success in this game, you talked about Russell Wilson standing there. If you go back and watch, folks, which I encourage you to if you can, you'll see a lot of Russell Wilson just trying to figure out what the heck is going on in front of him and what was able to create that level of confusion for an MVP candidate quarterback was rotating and shifting guys not only with the coverage but also through various blitzes and when you run a zone blitz scheme what that entails is showing certain guys coming and then possibly dropping those guys basically not telling the offense who is actually sending the pressure in some of these instances you might drop an outside linebacker who's a pass rusher or you might even drop a defensive lineman in these instances instead sending a linebacker. But what this does is not only leave the offensive line confused, but it also confuses the hell out of the quarterback if you do it well enough because he'll be looking in one spot saying, I've got this route open over here, but then suddenly someone drops into zone coverage right in that spot. He will be then confused like, all right, now where do I go with the football? And just as he's making a decision like we saw in this game, Pressure was coming his way where he didn't think somebody was coming. So all the delayed pressure, the stunts, the changing of coverages, this was a, I feel like we say this every week, Chris, this was a masterfully designed game by Patrick Graham because he did exactly what was needed to confuse a quarterback that some people think is not confusable. Yeah, we say this every week because it's kind of true every week. Yeah, Patrick Graham is, he is just, having an incredible stretch coaching and this secondary is playing so so well and yet you know, this is one reason why I'm I'm consistently annoyed with the NFL for not releasing the all 22 tape as soon as the game is done because they have it yeah you know, we all know they have that tape they could have it up immediately but instead they make us wait a day two three days they get up when they feel like it pretty much and I would love to see 
when we are prepping to do this show, exactly what the Giants are doing in the secondary. It, it's difficult when you just have the TV angle to work with because the TV angle follows the ball. It zooms in on the line of scrimmage. You get a look at the secondary at the snap, and then you don't really see it again until a pass is thrown. But at least from what I saw, the Giants play, did a lot of playing middle of the field open coverage. So either cover two or cover four schemes, which you know, a lot of zone coverage, keeping guys deep to try to take away the, the deep passes that Seattle has done so, so well. But what they started out playing was seldom what they were actually playing. You know, you saw the that cover four, it would, after the snap, it would rotate into a cover two. The cornerbacks would come up and play shallow zones or two man. They'd play man coverage on the outside or one of those deep safeties would sprint down and it would actually be a cover three look or uh, on Jabril Peppers' sack. Giants were showing cover two at the start and it was actually a cover one scheme, which left that extra player available to blitz into the backfield. And all of that disguise, it forced Wilson to hold on to the ball. He held on to the ball longer than anyone else in the NFL yesterday. It was almost three and a half seconds, his time to throw. And that gave the Giants pass rush the time it needed to get to him, which he is an athletic guy. He is a mobile guy. But as we've noted, the Seahawks offensive line is not great at protecting when they have to protect for three or more seconds. Yeah, that is when they start to break down. I I noted a couple plays where offensive linemen just took their eyes off of the Giants pass rushers. They would go to block somebody else and leave a guy free to rush into the backfield. And that is a thing that just doesn't happen. If Russell Wilson is able to get rid of the ball quickly, if he's able to decipher that defense quickly. And there's one other thing I noticed, and this has been happening more and more over the last couple of weeks in particular, and that's the Giants defensive backs playing receivers hands. Yeah, you know, they aren't necessarily going up to try to take the ball away from receivers, but instead they are attacking those hands at the catch point. It's something Bradbury has done all season long, but now we're starting to see Isaac Yadam do it. We're seeing Jabril Peppers do it more and more. We're seeing Logan Ryan do it more. Uh, Darnay Holmes and Julian Love start to do it more and more. And that I think is very quietly a coaching point, which has been key to how well this secondary is playing. And then just lastly, a, a simpler point to wrap up our, our breakdown. One thing that popped out to me, what became an ultimate difference maker from a second look, was how important these sacks and the turnovers were. The offensive line for Seattle played very sloppy, and they were not protecting the football as well as they could have been. There were a lot of balls that were punched out, and that completely shifted momentum and I would argue again this kind of goes with what I was talking about earlier with Colt McCoy if your defense dominates by creating turnovers and creating sacks you almost don't even need really high-end well-rounded offensive production now you're not going to get away with that every single week but to win a football game like this you can boost your your struggling offense by handing them the football at midfield and they were able to actually take advantage of of those opportunities because they were then able to run the ball so well. So if it wasn't for these turnovers, all of these sacks creating third and forever plays, I, I don't know how, how this game would have turned out. It was the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why they won this game against Seattle. Yeah, definitely. It, it seemed like, especially in the second half, 
every time the Seahawks would start to get momentum, they'd start to get a second and short or pick up a first down. Almost immediately, you would see them with a second and 25 or a, a third and 15, a third and 18, really forcing Russell Wilson to have to go to these long plays or try to throw short and hope Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson, you know, one of these guys can make a Giants defender miss. But there were so many guys in zone coverage with their eyes in the backfield, they were able to swarm to the ball. So every time the Seahawks started to get a little bit traction, started to get some momentum, there would either be a sack or just a bad penalty. And it would set them back. And that would basically be it for the drive. All right, folks, that is going to be it from us on today's show. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for Thursday's episode. As like we always do, we will be previewing the Giants' next opponent, which will be the Arizona Cardinals, another NFC West opponent, one of the hotter teams in the NFL right now. We're going to discuss all the key intricacies that we found on film, things that you need to know, things you maybe didn't know about Kyler Murray and the explosive air raid offense that Arizona possesses. Be sure to follow us on social media at Big Blue View, uh, at Joe DeLeon, and at Raptor MKII. Also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. 